Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How you doing today, Adam? Great. <laughs> Great. I've been reading our social medias lately. I know I promised you I'd stop doing that. <laughs> but one of the things I read was, was someone going like, it is magic how you guys are running your air conditioning and we can't hear it. <laughs> and we're sad that you were miserable for so long going without it. I saw that post as well. That was on the on the Greatest Gen subreddit. Isn't that nice? Yeah, that was People nice. just want us to be okay. The, uh, the administrators and owners of Reddit have not yet chopped off the heads of the Greatest Gen subreddit for uh, failing to comply with their weird new rules. Oh, I don't know anything about that. Uh, I I don't really either. I think there's something about like the people that own Reddit want to have an IPO or sell it or something, and so they're like bullying what they consider to be belligerent moderators. And like to be clear, anybody that moderates a forum on Reddit is doing so for free because they are passionate about the subject of the forum. Sure. And uh, these fucking capitalist ghouls are like not happy with the free labor that they're getting to build their valuable social media platform on. So, you know, just one of those things. <laughs> so you know enough about it to hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I've read, I've read enough headlines and uh, skimmed past enough like screaming TikTok videos about it to think it's bad. Sounds like a great way to spend time just getting <laughs> screamed at on TikTok. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's either that or read the comments about our show, so. <laughs> comments have been great lately. They actually have, yeah. Been really, really awesome to see that. And at yeah. just the right time, too, because we're about to see these people face-to-face. Yeah, if people were starting to to turn on us and we knew that we were about to head out to uh, do our live tour, man. <laughs> we read something fun today about uh, one of our venues, a huge chair throwing fight at a show that, that we're due to play. That's yeah. fun. That's not how the friends of DeSoto enjoy a Saturday afternoon though. So I don't, I don't think that, uh, I, we've never had a chair thrown at any of our shows, you know? If you're going to a Greatest Generation show and you find for some reason your chair has been bolted to the floor... That's why. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not our fault. Yeah. It's one of those like extremely specific warning signs that you see where you're like, that must be there because this has happened before. I hate a chair bolted to the floor. Yeah. I hate a bar stool bolted to the bar. It's the yeah. worst. It does suck. But then again, falling backwards off of a bar stool is actually life-threatening. So, <laughs> I've never done that. Have you done that? Sounds like you haven't done bar as hard as I've done bar. <laughs> no one does bar as hard as you. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, nobody does Voyager as hard as this episode, Adam. <laughs> Lordy, you're right about that. <laughs> Do you want to talk about some hard bodies and some brutal fisticuffs? Sure, do, Ben. Let's get into it. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 15. Tsunkatsi. 
Zoo. Zoomcats. Zoomcatsy. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. We start with a spinning arena shot with the full, like, you know, like they definitely got the WWE's LD team to design the spinning patterned lights that light up this stadium space. Didn't like the spinning. (laughs) Very dizzying. Do you get disoriented? Yeah. (laughs) Didn't like it. It's a very dynamic shot, like a full 360. Like they built this whole room. I guess stadium is maybe a bit of a generous way of describing this small cage match arena. It's a stadium the way the American Gladiators performed in a stadium. You remember that show and how there was probably only 40 people there at any given time, but it sounded enormous and the way they shot it made it feel like it was a a packed house. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing achievement to make a bunch of hobos you put in Star Trek loaf look and feel like a huge crowd that is gathered to (laughs) to see this alien blood sport, Tunkatsi. Sir, do not eat the loaf. (laughs) We're going to need that back. (laughs) A guy with really bad cystic acne on his neck runs out of one of the holes in the side of the arena and is like getting the crowd going. And then, Adam, out comes his challenger. It's a bane. I was so happy to see the Herogen again. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were behind us. No, they're still around. I thought those guys were centuries behind us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the Herogen have really traveled quite far, given the number of times the Voyager has gotten a free 10,000 light year boost since the last time we saw those guys. I'm so glad the Herogen are a character in a show about hunting, because like the idea of the Herogen is that they like, hunt for sport and kill. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's their deal. But the bad guys in this episode hunt for slavery. And that's way worse. Fight slavery, right? It is. But, you know, like, there's no ethical consumption in capitalism, but sometimes, like, you learn something about a thing you like that makes you feel like you can't continue to support it with your dollar. And that's going to happen to BLT and Chakotay because... Yeah. The camera finds them in the crowd as this brutal fight rages on, and uh, it's pretty clear. They fucking love this shit. They do. And what's unclear is how dangerous the sport might be, right? Because it kind of looks like the way laser tag depends on hitting a target yeah. on your opponent. In this, it's like fist laser tag <laughs> where you got to hit the little tags on the on the guy you're punching or right. kicking or whatever. And there's like wharf lightning that happens when you hit one of those spots. So it, it seems harmless because it's got that kind of laser tag quality, I think. And because BLT and Chakotay are there, like they wouldn't enjoy a blood sport where death was on the line, would they? Yeah. <laughs> They're like a policy right? against going to the red matches if you're on short leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be. I mean, unless Chakotay, you know, he's a cool boss. Yeah. Looks the other way about uh, the drinking while on a work trip policy. Let's put a pin in that and see how things shake out for Chakotay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. We get a little 
captain's log, we learn that we are at the Narcadian homeworld for shore leave, and Janeway's going on her own vacation to a, a neighboring system. Do you feel like when the whole ship is free to do shore leave and the captain goes, this is great for you, but I'm going to go to an entirely different system and get my back blown out in the Pentari planet. Like, everyone knows this is sex leave for her, right? Mm-hmm. Thanks again for minding the store. Even the captain deserves a vacation once in a while. I mean, it's a bit like at STLV. Like, the cast members get put up in a different, much less fucked up hotel, you know? Oh, yeah. So. We've met them there. They're in the nice hotel. The Narcadian homeworld is sort of the Rio of this sector. <laughs> it's got its uh, feral cat colony. It's got its never open slushy drink stand. Yeah, we never see the Pendari system and what might be waiting for Janeway. And that makes me sad because I think a, a great part of this episode is about her massive sacrifice in having to wheel around mm -hmm. her shuttle and come back home. How about the massive sacrifice of the crew members that she took with her? Like, I need you to take me on the Delta Flyer and then keep an eye on the Delta Flyer in orbit for me while I go down there. <laughs> that sucks. You're the lowest of the low at that point, right? <laughs> oh, those poor schmucks. I thought that this episode was setting up a C storyline where Neelix was really going to get into some serious cooking hijinks, borging his cooktop. I would have enjoyed that quite a bit. I don't want him accidentally turning the galley into an assimilation chamber. That is not a storyline that they pursue. Instead, the C storyline is, Neelix has a sunburn, Adam. It looks like a second degree sunburn. It looks really bad. It looks brutal. Ouch. It'll be a beautiful amber before you know it. Does not look fun. He's doing that thing where he's like holding his body very stiff because extra movement causes, you know, things to rub against the burn in a way that's uncomfortable. You've told the story on the show about getting a lime juice sunburn on your hands. Yeah. And... That was a second degree sunburn. I had like brutal blisters and I, <laughs> I got sent home from work because the blisters were so unsightly. And then I went to like an urgent care and this Russian doctor and a nurse were wrapping up the, the wounds and putting ointments and unguents on them and stuff. Sure. But then they had to like the nurse had to like put the stuff into the computer for insurance purposes, I guess. And she said to the doctor, so should I put this in as a blister? And the, the doctor said, no, it's burn. It's burn. That guy had your back. I... <laughs> Worked my entire shift when I had blistered tops of feet after my second degree sunburn. Ugh. I wish I got sent home. Damn. <laughs> a sunburn that blisters is no joke. Yeah. It's no laughing matter. Mm. <laughs> That's why I'm not laughing about what Neelix is going through. He's really in it. And he's got to work in front of a hot cooktop. Yeah. He can't feel great. And everybody's looking at his skin. Have you ever been in so much pain? You have to whisper who Neelix is. He can barely talk. He can't even move. Yeah. Got a huge cauldron of some kind of ointment going on the stove. He gets invited to Tsunkatsi later. And he's like, yeah, maybe I'll go as long as I don't have to clap or yell <laughs> or do any of the things that you do when you see a pugilist sport. Yeah, yeah. 
do the people that go to Tunkatsi make those signs that they're holding up or are they like handed out by production? I mean, that's the fun of seeing live wrestling is that there's a bit of both, isn't there? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Tuvok and Seven would also like to uh, take a holiday, but a different sort. More of a busman's type of holiday. Commander Tuvok and I don't require recreational activities. Yeah, there is a super cool micro nebula around the corner. They just need to borrow a shuttle if that's okay. Yeah. You know, everybody's trying to talk them out of it. Like, come on, you got a shore leave right here, ready to go. This beautiful temperate planet with blood sports laid out at your feet, and you're going to go sit in silence on a Brat-class shuttle and scan a nebular? Tuvok and Seven are like the kids in summer vacation, like between school years. <laughs> and... They choose to go to summer school instead of being made to go to summer school, right? Yeah, yeah. My, f- my friend's teenage son got himself a calculus textbook and learned calculus over the summer. Oh, God. <laughs> Chakotay, after lightly smashing their balls over being such fucking dorks <laughs> during their shore leave, throws them the keys to the brat. Yeah. Just tell them it saves you money, buster. And uh, that's the end of that. Yeah. Paris comes to see Seven off. She's a real Ben Harrison in the packing department. She's not a bring a single bag Adam Pranica type. I love bringing a single bag, but it makes me miserable. You, you definitely put bringing a single bag to the absolute extremes of practicality when you take like a three-night trip to Vegas with a single bag. Yeah. Yeah, I don't need to do that. Yeah. Why am I doing that to myself? I don't know. Why shouldn't I have all the things with me? I always wonder that. Yeah, because you are also bring all the things when it's a work thing. I know. I'm in conflict all the time about that. But you're a man of great duality. If my luggage were hard tripod cases, <laughs> the kind they have in the cargo bay, yeah, I might think about things a little differently. You can fit a lot of things in a barrel. That's what Seven's doing. I haven't overpacked. I simply wish to be prepared for any contingency. Did this scene just feel like filler to you? Absolutely, it did, yeah. It was like, since when is Paris the person with all of the great navigation data? He doesn't work in the ass lab. Also, what is Paris doing with that gallon of tea he's in there just kind of sloshing around the cargo bay, saying all this (laughs) shit about BLT? Can BLT have some secrets? (laughs) Toby the Targ should not be public knowledge. Yeah, yeah, that's not cool. No. Not cool to put your lady on blast like that, Paris. No. Objection noted, we'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Get do it. Objection noted, we'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Get do it. The EMH catches Seven in the hallway and has this idea that because everybody's on shore leave here at the Norcadian homeworld, maybe Seven would like to go on like a day date with him. She really slams his hollow dung in the shuttlecraft door. I'm busy. With what? Do you think this scene was a time filler too in the way the previous one was? I thought this one felt a little less out of place maybe because it followed the cargo bay scene. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> the EMH is kind of just a part of the C storyline yeah. after this. yeah. So, yeah, it does sort of feel like a, uh, this guy's in the cast. I I guess we got to give him a scene. (laughs) What if we took the storylines of this episode 
and swapped them with that other episode where the doctor is recruited into being an opera star on a planet. Yeah. And instead, it's the doctor who becomes this pro fighter. <laughs> he wants to stay because he gets undefeated. He can never be defeated as a hollow man. As a hollow man. Yeah, because he can take a punch where it like goes right through him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The dream. But a broken heart does hurt him. And it does at the end of this scene where she gives him the soft letdown. Yeah. So they head out in their brat class shuttle, and it's pretty quickly that they are intercepted by a mysterious ship that we only see the briefest glimpse of in the corner of the frame. And then like a, you know, somebody sets them up the bomb and goes off while Tuvok is like hunched over it. Knowing what you know about the folks that uh, scoop up the fighters Mm -hmm. and enslave them in the uh, fight game, why bomb? Because <laughs> when this thing shows up and then, you know, like we get our dissolved to white and they appear on the ship, I was like, well, the bomb could be useful here if Voyager ever rolls up on the ship and was like, oh shit, the shuttle exploded in some terrible accident. Right. There's no cover up about it at all. No. And also like the bomb has them down a substantial fighter. Oh, yeah. Right off the bat. Like, Tuvok studies the martial arts and has Vulcan super strength. Yeah. And is just, like, crisped for most of this episode. He looks like he's wearing a pile of dead leaves for the rest of the show. (laughs) Yeah, there's, like, a golden retriever trying to run and take a dive into him. Yeah, it's so cute. I could just watch that video all afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, like... These people have really good wharf lightning technology also. Like, it's built into their whole deal. Yeah, it just seems unnecessary to blow up the brat, right? Yeah. So when Seven wakes up, Jeffrey Combs is standing over her. Org-enhanced physiology. Jeffrey Combs has a very soothing voice, doesn't he? He really does, yeah. I felt wrongly like everything was going to be okay at this point. (laughs) I got tricked. Uh Uh Uh-huh. This character's name is... Pink, and Pink is very impressed with the gadgetry that has been used to augment Seven. Thinks she's going to be a real draw because Borg Drone is a variety of alien that they haven't thrown into the Tsunkatsi ring before, and uh, they could see it being a real fun time for the kids at home. The Jeffrey Combs character is extremely bad at reading any room he's in. (laughs) Because I feel like when he rolls in here, he is the world's biggest Tsunkatsi fan. He is really excited, not about his situation, but about theirs. Oh, Seven's so lucky to be fighting. Yeah. This is great. Everyone loves Tsunkatsi. Yeah. He's got the, like, that episode where Picard was on the ship where the head guy called him Galen and had the buttons on his belt to hurt people if they disagreed with him. He's got like the Galen strap, which is the thing that goes like over the nipples, right? Uh (laughs) I think that the Jeffrey Combs character, Pink, is sort of treating everybody like he can push a button and hurt them. Yeah. But he's much more sparing with the button, maybe? Yeah. Spare the button, save the fighter. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's how he's thinking about it. Yeah, because like the the Herogen guy's there, and he's like sneering at all this, and he's like, "Shut up, <laughs> quiet. You're gonna fight, and you're gonna like it." Speaking of voices, the unmistakable voice of JG Hertzler, yeah, is booming through the barracks area. I didn't recognize him at first because we could see both of his eyes. Yeah, how happy are you if you're him to? Like, I suppose you need to accept the loaf when you're J.G. Hertzler, but that you can see out of both <laughs> eyes has got to be such a relief, right? His agent is like, hey, J.G., got you another gig on a Star Trek series. So good news, bad news. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of the button that you brought up is so interesting because the Herogen totally smashes Jeffrey Combs' nuts in this scene. Like, whatever authority figure Jeffrey Combs is in this scene is really fucked with by the Herogen. Right. The Herogen has no respect for him. He's just, But he is, like, stuck here. So, you know, he's all talk, no punches thrown. But one thing you learn in this interaction is, is that because the Herogen is so good at fighting and his record is so good, he's sort of safe to be a dick to Jeffrey Combs in this scene. He can uh, walk around and, and talk shit and it will be tolerated. Yeah. We also learn about the difference between a red match and a blue match. Do you want to know what it is? Red match is when there's danger and blue match is when you do it on the surface of a planet. <laughs> okay. Very Star Trek joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's really just a Voyager joke because we never had blue alert in any of the other series, did we? No, no, we sure didn't. Yellow match is uh, <laughs> is a form of water sports. Yellow match is one you want to do in a hotel room. <laughs> That's where you do that one. Brown match. I don't even think we need to say that. Mm-hmm. Parts of Eastern Europe probably interested in that kind of match. Two fighters, one match. Yeah. Kind of a situation. Yeah. Seven hates this whole scene. She isn't interested in being a Tsunkatsi fighter, even though the Jeffrey Combs character thinks that she'd make a great one. But what they end up coming to agree on at the end is that Seven of Nine will fight in exchange for getting some medical care for Tuvok. Tuvok is advising her against this. Yeah. He's like, don't take the deal. I, I will be fine. <laughs> Like many people in this country having to uh, do something terrible or make some great sacrifice in order to just get basic medical care uh-huh. is uh-huh. what Seven agrees to do here. It's too bad. She's like, you didn't see the guy with the leaf blower out in the hall. You're, <laughs> you're in much more danger than you realize, Tuvok. Yeah, yeah. So she agrees to fight, and uh, we cut up to Neelix's galley where... There's some real jocularity going on between like Chakotay and Tom Paris. And turns out Kim is like really good at Parisi squares and Chakotay is really good at boxing. And they actually have like records to prove this from their days in the academy. But huge disagreement on which is the more brutal sport and who could like come over to the other side and do well. You're so right about the sequence of scenes here in that. You're at the lowest part emotionally in the scene before Seven having to fight when she doesn't want to to save Tuvok's life. And then you cut to the mess hall and everyone's so excited to see the fighting. They don't realize what mean the fighting yeah. just yet. So it's just a fun thing for them. 
Chakotay sticks BLT with bridge duty so that he can go watch more of this, which felt really brutal. Like we saw him enjoying it with her specifically at the beginning of the episode. This is completely unmotivated, right? Yeah. There is no reason for him to do this. I'm delegating. Doesn't everyone get shore leave? Apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of unmotivated, Adam, how, let's check in with that C story about how Neelix's rash is getting worse. Yeah. It's hard to believe they could make him look worse than the earlier scene, but he looks like he's in worse shape than in the beginning, and it's because he's allergic to his own ointment. Yeah. He made himself Leola root ointment, and it's, it's exacerbating his sunburn. Is there anything Leola root can't do? <laughs> it's a soup. It's another soup. Mm-hmm. It's a mash. It's a flowers. It's a dessert topping. It's very much the soybean of the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Yeah. Neelix is really the uh, Leola boy of the ship, isn't he? <laughs> you see him in all the pictures doing that weird, big, goofy smile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No one likes that. I hope you've learned your lesson. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So we cut back to the Tsukansi arena, and it's in the stands where we learn more about how the game works, right? It's Chakotay that explains this. Yeah. I guess Neelix has gotten patched up enough by the doctor to get to go to one of the fights. And so, you know, like an uncle taking their niece to a baseball game, he's like over explaining the rules about, oh, yeah, there's a there's a patch you're trying to hit with the bioelectric shock that'll go through your system. There's a very crucial aspect to this missing. And I'm wondering if you noticed this. Pink is leaving a lot of money on the table in concessions where are the beverages? Where is the food? There should be tall boys. There should be churros. There should be a lote. That's what I'm saying. I don't understand how everyone's just made to watch this thing standing there. I could not wrap my mind around this. Yeah. How are you going to whet your whistle at the Tunkatsi match? I got so little time to consider it because the first fighter enters the arena and it's The Rock. The most electrifying man in sports and entertainment. I mean, he gives us his signature eyebrow raise. This is his second only appearance on a television show that isn't a wrestling television show. Wow. Like he was like a bit part on that 70s show, but this is basically his first big role on TV. Damn. He does a great job. He's got a bunch of lines. He's uh, trading barbs and trading jams with Seven. You're a hundred pounds of nothing. Five feet nothing. I found the like brutality of the fight to be pretty well done, but the extra that they put in there to fight him like flashed the camera so many times that I was like, we're not selling that this is Jerry Ryan very well. <laughs> It's all fun and games until the Voyager crew realizes that he's going to fight Seven of Nine. Yeah. And it's wild because the crew watches The Rock kick the absolute shit out of Seven, and there's nothing he can do about it. Like, he tries to call for help for her. They try to call at her. No one's going to hear that. Yeah. The crowd's too loud. People are booing at her. That's also just really, like, unfortunate. I guess she's been kind of positioned as the heel Because he's the people's champion. Seven actually gets in some good shots on occasion, but she always pulls back after she does. Yeah. 
they're trying to like radio up to Voyager, like get her out of this pit. And when BLT scans the pit, she's like, there's nobody there. Like there must be a dampening field or something. And these scans actually cause some shimmers in the holograms. It turns out this fight is happening somewhere else and it is holograms that they're watching that are being broadcast from somewhere not here. I love how it looks like it's a scandal to you and me, but it is not a scandal to anyone there. Like they know exactly what they're seeing. Yeah. They're seeing hollow fighters. Right. But as soon as the shimmer happened, I was like, oh, they're going to hate this. <laughs> it makes sense though, right? Like if you go and you're like, this is the most popular sport on this planet mm -hmm. and you go into the arena and you're like, there's seating for 40 people here. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. How does anyone make any money? I mean, it turns out Pank makes a lot of money on the broadcast deal. Yeah. He doesn't need the money from the concessions. You can go to any strip mall on the uh, Norcadian home world. Yeah. And there's a Tunkatsi arena there where you can watch live fights holographically broadcasted from a secret location. This is a great move if you're Pank and you want to obscure where the broadcast is happening, right? Yeah. How did you feel about the like man on womanness of this fight? I kind of felt like this probably wouldn't get done this way in a modern show. It's like there are female fighters in the background of the locker room areas in the Tunkatsi place, but Seven is never against one of them. And I thought that that was, it was a little weird to see. <laughs> I'm not used to seeing that. I mean, Seven is obviously feminine in dress. And she gets hit on, or she was hit on constantly by Harry Kim. Mm -hmm. I lasted 22 minutes. But there's something about her Borgsness that kind of desexualizes her in a situation like this, right? Yeah. Because she goes a long way toward explaining how lethal she is in a fighting arena before the fight starts. Like there's something about that that I think gets that discomfort for me, at least off the hook. Like... When The Rock and her fight, it seems like things are even. It is a fair fight, yeah. It seems like the choice to make it not even is Seven's to make by holding back on her own aggression. Yeah, I think that's true. But uh, at the end of the day, this is a scene about a man beating up a woman. <laughs> it just it was like, man, like that is not something I'm used to seeing on TV and not something I'm super comfortable seeing on TV. <laughs> That was so low on the list for me, I didn't even consider it because these are people who were scooped up into fight slavery and that's like mm -hmm. the top line <laughs> issue for me. I had I had no thoughts about the uh, <laughs> the gendered roles of the two fighters yeah. whatsoever. It's like seeing the crime against humanity forest for the trees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My very name is racist. So word gets back to the captain on the Delta Flyer that some of their people have been abducted. So the captain is, uh, you know, turning everything around and racing to get back to the ship. So in the beginning, we learn that Janeway is going off to do her own shore leave. And we don't know anything about it except it's somewhere else. Right. How surprised were you when we cut to the captain and she's on the Delta Flyer with a bunch of other people. That part surprised the hell out of me. I thought she'd be alone. Yeah. She doesn't have a captain's yacht, right? Like Voyager's not big enough to have its own yacht built in. I think the Delta Flyer makes the case for itself here. 
Wait, does it does it have a yacht? Oh no, you're gonna get so many letters. <laughs> uh. Help me out here. Or you don't want to get letters either. No, I don't. Dear Chat GPT, does Voyager have a captain's yacht? <laughs> Back in the fight barracks, Tuvok is up in the top bunk under a pile of dead leaves, while Seven wakes up on the bottom bunk with the Herogen uh, waving a healing light over her. Even though Seven lost this fight, he's pretty enthusiastic about her potential as a fighter. He saw her pulling those punches, you know? He kind of wants to Mickey her, doesn't he? <laughs> you get a shot at the title. He really admires her skills, and she's sort of like, it's like a mixture of being humble and just being like put off by the whole thing. She's like, stop talking to me about my fighting skills. I don't want to talk about fighting. I don't want to be a fighter. I don't want to be here. And he's like, no, no, I can train you. I can like really like teach you the technique of Tsunkatsi because there's like some non-obvious stuff based on the bioelectric punching targets in mm -hmm. the game. And she's like, I don't want to be good at this. I just want to get through this until I can be rescued. It really feels like us when we first started doing Star Trek podcasting. <laughs> like, I know how that feels. I did not want to be good at this. But then we were told that we were. A lot. Yeah, we were told that in Star Trek podcasting, the only difference between a champion and a survivor is there is no difference. <laughs> We've had to kill all of our opponents to get here. Yeah, they keep putting us in red matches. <laughs> yeah. So Pink comes in and he's like, hey, that was really exciting. People loved seeing it. Got a red match coming up. I was going to put that The Rock guy in it. But he's not going to be in the episode any longer, <laughs> and he's not going to get any further character development. So uh, I'm going to put you, Seven of Nine, in this match. And uh, J.G. Hertzler's like, cool, well, I'll train you because I know who you're facing, and I, I know his weaknesses. I've got to get that platinum. Get that gold. Large I've got to get that platinum. Are you selling a heist? Gold. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. 
Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen. So I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I love the trivia of Pank going like, no one loves seeing the Borgs get their ass kicked more than our Monday night Tsunkatsu audience. (laughs) We're getting tens of thousands of requests to see you fight again. I'm going to put you in prime time for that to happen. (laughs) It's going to be great. (laughs) He's sure Seven's going to die. And so is everyone. Yeah, it's interesting because like he really thought she had a lot of promise as a champion, but it seemed like she's her first match was against somebody who was also super good. Yeah. Which wouldn't you want to like start them off easy and like get a couple of wins on their record so that you could like really build them up as like this like up and coming, you know, threat to I you know, I've only seen the Andre the Giant movie. I'm not like a huge wrestling fan, but like Great movie by the way. Great movie, and the way you design a storyline for a wrestler or similar seems like the death match isn't the second one you throw them in. <laughs> this was so confusing. Like, what do you make of the math that Seven was doing at the end of this scene? Like, she's like, I don't want to fight, fuck this. But in order to save Tuvok's life, she must. Yeah, And she almost thinks of that more than saving her own life. And what's missing in this calculation is 
ever hoping to escape their circumstances. Didn't you think it was weird that neither of them ever discuss it really? Like, how do we get out of here? We got to bust out of here. We got to kill Pank, especially. That guy sucks. Like, there's no prisoner strategizing in a way that you would get in a prisoner storyline. I was also just wanting Seven to bring up when, like, when Pank walks in the room, be like, hey, Pank, I did your fucking fight. Why is my buddy still covered in leaves? Like, clearly no medical attention has been brought to Tuvok's bedside. Also, what about whap, assimilation tubules? Whap, <laughs> assimilation tubules. Like, she's Spider-Man and the tubules around the bunk area, and all of a sudden they're free. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. How great would that be? <laughs> And then she Spider-Mans from the top bunk into Tuvok's bunk. Mm. Great moment. Yeah, that'd be really cool. <laughs> the end of this scene is just like the Herogen guy saying like, you don't really have a choice in this matter. You know, you can either die in the fight or win the fight. There's no third option. So you've got to learn to show no sympathy for your prey. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. Yeah. And we cut up to Voyager and... I love the idea that Ambassador Neelix has been like approaching the Narcadian authorities with like a, hey, it turns out a couple of our people seem to have been abducted by your Tsunkatsi thing. And they're like, oh, dang, abducted? It's slavery? That's horrible. Well, we will definitely be looking into that. And Neelix is like, they're just making too much money to give a shit. (laughs) That's really it. Pretty ugly. Yeah. Sunburn looks a lot better, though. Yeah. He got out ahead of that before showing his face to the people. Seems like medical science is, in fact, better than Talaxian homeopathy. People for a couple of seasons have been calling Neelix a diplomat, (laughs) but we never see the diplomacy, do we? The diplomacy happens off screen. Yeah. We just see him reporting back that the diplomacy has failed in an unsurprising way. (laughs) That is such a George Costanza thing to do, right? Like, you remember that episode where he wasn't sure if he was hired for a job and then he goes and chooses the small office and then sits there for eight hours with that file and then leaves? (laughs) Yeah. Basically, that's what Neelix does this episode. Pretty much. He beamed himself into an office on the planet surface, spent eight hours there, and then got beamed back. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get any help through official channels. Meanwhile, they've done some research about where the broadcasts of these fights are originating from. And they realized that it's actually a, a, a huge ship that's traversing the sector. And they've got some some data on this ship. It's fucking huge. It's, you know, armed to the teeth. It's heavily armored and you know there's lots of boxing terminology thrown into this you know we're out of our weight class and like the bigger they are the harder they fall and all that stuff that's never actually worked in star trek right (laughs) like nobody ever says that about a borg's cube like oh love going up against a borg's cube with the voyager if we uh, target our phasers just right, uh, this thing might die in the ring, tragically. <laughs> <laughs> or if we can get some like mob connections, we could maybe see if it'll throw the fight. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I wonder, do they do that this episode because they know what they're trying to do is draw a non-Star Trek audience into the thing? Setting aside the idea that you had the rock for one scene and one scene only before throwing him away, like that's a little bit of a bait and switch, right? <laughs> to your wrestling audience you're trying to attract. Yeah. But like 
from that point on, you got to keep the wrestling audience. And how do you do that? I guess. How do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) You do that with the terminology and with Seven being the fighter, huh? Yeah, I did read that um, in production they had an idea of maybe in in the red match, Seven could go get a folding chair from the audience. Oh, I'd love that. But because it's broadcast from the ship and the the part where the audience would sit is all blocked off in Mm -hmm. that version of the arena, there are no folding chairs in there. So it would have broken the logic of the episode. I mean, what chairs there are are probably bolted down, right? Oh, yeah, that's terrible. To prevent their throwing. (laughs) Well, Pank is a kind of safety first sort of uh, enslaving fight impresario. Hey, you want to go home safe and come back? (laughs) He's no dummy. So, uh, yeah, Tuvok is still super fucked up, gives a little pep talk to Seven of Nine after she finishes her... Her big training sash. His pep talk should be fight in order to save my life. Yeah. Like, what is your problem, Seven? It's kind of what it is. It's like, I don't know who you're going to fight, but get that fool. (laughs) Basically. Seven looks plausibly badass in this scene, doesn't she? But in that, like, karate kid movie kind of way. Like, do you remember in what danger Daniel was in when he was, like, being trained by Mr. Miyagi to fight in the end? Like... It seemed like he would get his ass kicked. And at the end of the training montage, you're like, this kid might just live through this. <laughs> That's what this scene made me feel like. Is like shadow boxing or whatever Seven's doing here seems all well and good, but we're hearing she's going to fight a monster. Yeah. And this monster is going to kill her. But the Herojin seems satisfied that uh, her training is going to be a success here. Yeah, we also learned that this Herojin guy, he's been here for 19 years doing this fight, and he got an injury like early on that still hasn't healed properly because I guess his birdie has just never given enough time to heal itself up. How do you think Pank got his name? (laughs) I've got pictures. (laughs) Jesus. I mean, he's been there a long-ass time. He's been there too long not to have compromat, right? Yeah. I mean, he also, he has his tragic backstory about how he was on his son's first hunt and they both got abducted and maybe his son got killed because he wasn't old enough to be in the fighting. But he's like lived with this shame of if his son is alive, like he just remembers his dad getting turned into prey, which is like the most shameful shit you can possibly imagine if you're a Rojan. Yeah, I mean, he's wounded like that, but also... Wounded in the ribs. <laughs> yeah. Which is the greater wound? Hypothetically, if you were going to have to fight this guy, consider both of those. Yeah. Either trash talking the way his son must think of him mm-hmm. or going for a lot of rib shots, you know, like focusing it on the body. Yeah. Yeah. Over in the corner. Tuvok is fiddling with the door to the cell in the only moment in the episode where anyone seems interested in leaving the bunk area. Yeah. He's like, yeah, no hope for us escaping. There's just no way to do it. And that is basically all we get of that. And we go to the match and the lighting has changed. It's a little bit more red forward. You like that. If you're just tuning into the fight, you want to know what sort of fight it is right away. Right. Oh, this is a red match. Cool. Wow. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> the Herogen 
is her opponent, it turns out, in a shocking twist that nobody saw coming. Am I just dumb, or was everyone thinking it would be The Rock again in some sort of rematch? The only reason I didn't think it would be The Rock again was all of the time that she spent with the J.G. Hertzler character, and I was like, ah, this is like really (laughs) guiding it in a specific direction, and... It's not that interesting to see a guy that beat Seven up then, you know, do a rematch in which he kills her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is better this way. It's better this way, but also it does suck that we didn't get any more scenes with The Rock and, you know, any character development of any kind. It's clear the Herogen wants to have suicide by prize fight. Yeah. So it's not just that the Herogen was setting her up to fail by knowing her every move and every strategy. He set her up to be a plausible fighter against him. Right. Right? He wants to die, and he will fucking kill her if she doesn't give him what he wants. <laughs> and he kind of made her in his own image to be capable of doing that. If I can't die here, I won't let anyone <laughs> die here. Except for you. <laughs> if you die. He's been in the fighting world for 19 years, but he really hasn't gotten his trash talk quite (laughs) up to the level of some of the other fighters. Yeah. He's not good. He is a good fighter, though. Yeah. This fight is is brutal. It commences while another fight is happening not very far away, Adam. That's right, Ben. It's a space battle. (laughs) Voyager has rolled up on the USS UFC. Do you think that the like middle round section of the USS UFC is meant to be the arena? Yeah, I do think that. Like the scale is totally fucked up if that's the case. Doesn't it look like in so many cities there's a version of the hotel that's like boxy building with like the circular top part where the restaurant is? Oh yeah, almost always a Westin, I feel like. That's what this ship looks like. It looks like the USS Westin. <laughs> Oh, yeah. With its heavenly beds. Yeah. (laughs) How many uh, Starwood points do you think uh, Seven and Tuvok got for for being there as long as they were? I mean, how long do you think they were there? (laughs) Probably a while. This is the thing about hotel loyalty. You always think that that you're going to get something out of it, but you need to stay in the USS Weston for like hundreds of nights a year to get anything. Mm -hmm. You're better off just choosing a fun, good hotel. Yeah. I remember we stayed in the Sheraton in Toronto one time for a Toronto show, and I'd built up enough Starwood points that they gave me a shitty bottle of champagne. Wow. And it was like after... A Toronto show. After getting show, hammered at our show. Which is always <laughs> always one of our wilder shows. And I was like, I can't do anything with this fucking bottle of champagne. I guess I'll just draw myself a bath and pour <laughs> the champagne in it. <laughs> Let those burbles go to work. Yeah. Voyager starts their strafing run, and the first thing they knock out is the shields. This enables them to get Tuvok out, but they haven't gotten Seven out yet. Kim's like, I can't get a lock on anything but like a pile of leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Rake it in here. (laughs) Tuvok goes to six bag, starts getting fixed up finally. But then Voyager's weps get taken out. And it's like, what are we going to do now? We got to have weps. He's the key. They're going to watch Janeway roll in. 
in the Delta flyer and blast the fucking satellite dish off of this thing. Yeah. Fucking great. Signal lost, motherfucker. Delta flyer to the rescue. There's coffee and getting back to work after a long vacation. I guess they're like trying to reroute power to the other signal generators to, to like get the audience back. Yeah. And for that reason, the extra shielding around the arena is weakened enough that they can beam Seven and the Herogen guy out. It happens like right at the moment where Seven was about to like land the, the killing blow, I guess. Doesn't it seem like in this scene that there's one extra added element of, I don't know, of like controversy or challenge or whatever missing? Like, to me, it just doesn't seem enough that shooting the satellite dish off of the ship is sufficient to like make Pank hurt. What are Pank's stakes? Are they just the ratings? I feel like his life should be on the line here too. Like someone above him is telling him to get the great ratings. Right. And by having his ship shot up and losing those, I want to know that he is in grave danger, but that doesn't seem to be the case. They had a whole scene that was just about Paris dropping off navigation data and kind of being a bad boyfriend to Bolana earlier in the episode that they could have ditched and had Pank have an even eviler big bad boss. Yeah. Who told him, like, if if you don't find a way to get the ratings, like, you're going to be the next fighter in the arena or something. And then and then when Seven and the Rojan guy gets beamed out, you get, you push the camera up to Pank in the control room. And, the like, yeah. the fact that he is doomed and he's going to be in a fucking red match before he knows it washes over him. He puts his head in his hands and maybe, like, he, he weaves his fingers through that weird mustache he's got connected <laughs> To yeah. the hair on the back of his head. Yeah, is it connected to his sideburns? Is it like kind of like dreadlocked up to his sideburns? I don't know, but the close-up shots of the makeup there are not good. Woof. <laughs> he got done dirty. <laughs> Jeffrey Combs did. <laughs> Looks like a scabbed knee. Yeah. On both of his cheeks. Yeah, it's really, it's really upsetting. Yeah. They get out of there in the nick of time. The thing about this fight between Seven and the Herogen is that it really seems like all the way up until the end, Seven's not going to just beat him, but she is going to kill him. And when they appear in the transporter room, she's in that killing posture, like ready to bring both fists down on his face. Right. That's how you kill someone. Ready to bring the Kirk chop down one last time. What she should be doing is flap, flap. Assimilation nodules. (laughs) But that doesn't happen here either. They appear in a transporter room full of security people with their dustbusters out. Yeah, which are being led by Tom Paris for some reason. Got to give that guy something to do. I guess. Am I making any sense here? So like the question that Hertzler has is like, oh yeah, we're going to get you back together with your Bane buds. Uh, There's there's some of them nearby. And he's like, great, that's going to be great for me. And the question comes up, uh, he turns to Seven, he's like, would you have actually done it? Were you were you getting ready to drop the hammer on me or not? Yeah. She doesn't know. It's ambiguous. You don't know until you're in the moment. And I guess they had just gotten up to pre-moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, consider yourself Saul Rubinek. Consider me Data. Yeah. We just don't know. Yeah. Perhaps something occurred during transport, Commander. The Herogen gives Seven a trophy, which is his now worthless laser tag puck that he's worn in between his nipples. And 
says his life will now be dedicated to finding his missing son. Who is probably ashamed of him because of his toxic culture. Yeah. Yeah, that's not going to work out great for him. No. Sad to see him go do that. It seems like things will end up okay for Seven because in the ass lab, Tuvok comes to work quietly with her the way that they did in the shuttle so long ago. And, uh, God, he's... He's so gabby in this scene. He just won't shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. He goes on and on about how grateful he is to her for saving his life. Assisting me with these recalibrations will be sufficient, thanks. He's curious about how her mentals are, given that moments earlier that same day, she was fighting to the death. And uh, she's like Christopher Walken in The Deer Hunter, right? Like, do you ever come home from that experience, Seven? Seems unclear. Yeah. Does. Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. What an interesting project for a Star Trek episode to like know going in that your audience might not be a Star Trek audience. It might be a Star Trek audience and more of a general audience than you've ever wanted to get before. Like the thrust of this being, let's get those UPN eyeballs right. on this show. Like if somebody told us we were going to have The Rock as a guest on this show, I think we would be in as weird a spot. We'd be like, I'm not sure if people that are just tuning in because they want to hear The Rock on a podcast are going to know what this is. I know what I'd do. I'd, I'd tag myself out and I'd tag in Hal Lubland. He would host for me. <laughs> but like... That'd be great. If Danielle Radford and, and Hal Lublin could just take over for us for a little while. How about new? It'll never happen. <laughs> You're trying to make a good episode of TV for a general audience to almost the exclusion of your own audience, your own Star Trek audience. Yeah. When I think about this episode and, and its many flaws, I'm like, that's the reason yeah. This episode is flawed in the way that it is. It's because I'm not the audience for this anymore. It's someone else. It's someone who watches Thursday Thunder or whatever in the late 90s. It's sort of the opposite of the logic of those episodes of Bar Rescue where he turns like a biker bar into like a cocktail speakeasy. And yeah. the owner's like a guy that's like wearing a leather vest the entire time. And he's like, I don't want to have a cocktail speakeasy. And John Taffer's like... Your normal customers are out of control and they're driving people in this market away. You're in a nice suburban neighborhood. You can make money doing this if you listen to me. That's sort of what the studio bosses at UPN did to Star Trek in this episode. <laughs> a man wearing a leather vest projects two different types of energy. <laughs> One energy is of the motorcycle culture, wherein the leather vest serves as a sort of protection should the rider of a motorcycle dump that motorcycle onto the pavement. The other projection is leather daddy. <laughs> you're gonna kill somebody! Or you're gonna titillate them! <laughs> Yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Like, I don't feel like I can... It doesn't quite feel like an episode of Voyager. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so, like, do I like it as an episode of Voyager? As an episode of Voyager, it wasn't that great. As an episode of TV, 
Yeah, this is a good episode of TV. Yeah, I like that. I thought it was fun that they brought in Hertzler and Combs too. Like, get some other kind of recognizable Star Trek that guys. Like, if somebody is like a, I've dabbled in Star Trek. I watched Deep Space Nine, but I don't really watch Voyager. But I'm going to watch this episode of Voyager. This might be persuasive to that person. I yeah. think that was a smart move in casting. But you know what else sucks is like in the late 90s, I think it was pretty unclear what type of person was in a wrestling audience. And I think the stereotype was probably not great. Yeah. The sort of stereotype that would allow for a decision to, you know, make the sexy one the lead in the show and totally sideline the captain of the ship and the show's main character as a result. And I think that kind of sucks. Like, it seems very clear that the goal was to make an interesting episode of television for a wrestling audience that probably won't watch another episode of Star Trek instead of making an, a good Star Trek episode also that could serve to invite a wrestling audience person in and maybe keep them around for a while. Yeah, because like Star Trek has never really succeeded at the arena fight, you know? It's always been spiky bird adjacent. And yeah. even with The Rock and, like, better fight choreography than they typically get, this didn't have the appeal of watching actual wrestling, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I don't see how they're nabbing that audience in that way. Like, I would say, like, maybe the smarter play would have been just, like, cast The Rock in an action role. Like, make The Rock a Herogen? Yeah, or... Or he's a Herogen hunter. Right, yeah, and like... You don't want to cover up that eyebrow. <laughs> keep that thing going. Free. That's what makes all the money, you know? Yeah. Anyways, interesting artifact of television, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm sad it's over. I was looking forward to the Rock episode for a long time. Yeah. Fun to talk about. It was. Uh, do you want to talk about some Priority One messages? At this point in the episode? If you smell <laughs> what the priority one message inbox is cooking. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. Oh, boy. And the request was for this very episode, specifically. All right. <laughs> Here's that message. Are you curious about Bruce Lee's role in fight scene history? How did Rosa Salazar get rid of kitten paws? Does Jackie Chan really hate deaf people? <laughs> what? Fight Scene Film School answers these questions. Moose analyzes many fights, even some from that other star franchise. He's also promised me that he'll one day do a video on Kirk Fu. <laughs> he may even answer how Seven of Nine defeated Martok Bane. Beyond, she's a Borgs and he's an old. <laughs> if you smell what the Pandari is cooking, hopefully not Leola Roots do. All right. So here's the call to action. Visit Moose's Fight Scene Film School channel on YouTube. Fight Scene Film School. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody named Smeggy Ben put this message in our queue. 
I mean, Smeggy Ben was probably uh, wanting to avoid being confused for Ben. Yeah, yeah. I might have thought this is from you. Significantly less smegma than it would take to get that nickname applied yeah. to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gross. Wow, that sounds awesome, though. I, I, I will check out that YouTube channel for sure. Smeggy Ben knows we love a film school. Yeah. Our next P1 is from M, a lost back catalog viewer, and it's to Ben and Adam. It goes like this. Thanks for being just embarrassed enough to make this delightful podcast. Been making my way through and rewatching ep by ep. Y'all are in Voyager season five, and I'm in a space butthole. I can't wait to hear what terrible new things I won't be able to unhear about my favorite episodes in Voyager. Thank you for making us laugh when the world just seems to want to cry. Thanks, M. A lost back catalog viewer. Yeah. So many FODs just back in the stacks. Back in the stacks. Doing unspeakable things in the stacks. <laughs> yeah, but making their way toward the front, right? The yeah. season five is not that far back. Not at all. Ben, our final prior to end message is from Dan from Olympia. It's to you and me. The message goes like this. I don't know. I just really like you guys. And have a little extra scratch right now. Glad that Dan has a little extra scratch. That's great. Yeah, Dan's got it like that. Dan just wants to support the show. Good for you, Dan. Just like everyone else who fills out a Priority One message. That is uh, deeply appreciated. Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron if you'd like to get one. Set it up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Come on, I gotta give it to The Rock. He did his eyebrow thing. He did his eyebrow thing and he did the rock bottom. That's his move. I know. These are both probably in there contractually, but the idea that they were iconic enough that, it, like, I think that it, at this moment in history, if he'd been in this episode and not done those things, it would have felt weird and like they half-assed it in a crucial way. So I'm really glad that that stuff happened. And, uh, you know, he's, he's an incredibly magnetic performer who I always enjoy watching. Like he, so many of his movies are so bad, but he's always good. <laughs> what was the last good rock movie you saw? I'm trying to think. Um, I like that one where I think it was just called Skyscraper. It's not like strictly speaking a good movie, but it's like a fun action movie. Mm -hmm. And I got to go to like a special screening of it for Legendary Pictures office staff. <laughs> you know, it's just like one of those like a friend of a friend in LA has four passes to a thing and uh -huh. we're going to the like 36 screen AMC in Sherman Oaks to see a movie Love for it. free. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, fun, you know, fun action movie about The Rock being, like, really good at high-status building security or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he built this security system, and now they're turning it against him. <laughs> <laughs> and contractually, The Rock can't lose against a building security system. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, I, like, I literally always enjoy watching him. Yeah. Yeah. He's magnetic. Ben, my Shimoda is going to be Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan actual, not wow. Seven of Nine. For a very funny thing I read about her experience doing this episode. Uh -huh. Hard to imagine anyone wouldn't know who The Rock is today. He's one of the biggest stars in the world. But back then, in the late 90s, like The Rock was just a very popular wrestler. Right. And so when he showed up to set, 
he introduced himself as Dwayne to his co-stars and stuff, and everyone really loved working with him. Everyone to a person was like, this guy's a sweetheart. He's great. He's fun to work with. <laughs> but when it was all over, Jerry Ryan goes back into her trailer, and she sees an autographed picture of The Rock, and inscribed on it is, The Rock smells what you're cooking. <laughs> Love The Rock. <laughs> Jerry Ryan did not know who The Rock was. Jerry Ryan did not understand the reference. Whoa. <laughs> was not familiar with the catchphrase. <laughs> so when she's over in the prosthetics trailer, like getting her wound stuff attached and like her Borg's dolphin attached to her face and whatever, she ran this by the folks who worked in the trailer and they're like, dude, that's what The Rock says. The Rock is a very popular wrestler. <laughs> and that is like your mom, my mom, anyone's mom would be like that. Like right, this right. strange man said that he likes what I'm cooking. <laughs> what does that mean? Is he hitting on me? It, <laughs> yeah. It sort of seems like it could be a hit. I'm not hitting on you. Everything's not a hit. People can make conversations without it being a hit. What does cooking mean in the <laughs> Urban Dictionary? <laughs> Anyway, I thought that was a very charming story about Jerry Ryan and The Rock. That's beautiful. That's what makes her my drunk Shimoda. I thought that was great. I mean, Jerry Ryan is an important figure in like the political history of the United States. Yeah. Huge deal. And didn't know who The Rock was. Yeah. So great. Sometimes some people don't know who The Rock is. <laughs> Crazy. All right, Adam. Drunk Shimoda's have been determined and announced. The only thing left, of course, is uh, talking about the next episode of Star Trek Voyager that we will be watching. Why don't you head to gach.biz slash game while I tell you about Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 16, Collective. Seven becomes a mentor to five young drones abandoned by the Collective. This is like uh, Borg Rascals, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Brascals? Mm -hmm. Donnie Brascals? Mm -hmm. Till that day. All right. Ben, our runabout on the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Caretaker, is on square 77. Unclear whether or not that's where we're supposed to be. Game's been a little buggy lately. <laughs> ben, one square ahead is an nth degree square. Of course, that being the sort of episode where we do extensive research for the show. Right. And then during the show, we share what we've learned and grow <laughs> more intelligent from the sharing. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> that's one square ahead. And then two, three, four, five is a Caught in the Nebula episode, which would be no notes. How exciting would that be? Oh, man. Sort of uh, opposite ends of an information spectrum. Yeah. That's all that's ahead. Who knows what'll happen when I roll this die? Let's find out together. Share your roll and grow stronger from the sharing, Adam. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Let's see what I get. Oh, Ben, I rolled a one. <laughs> you know what that means. The opposite of no notes. Extensive research. So much research. Yeah. Yeah. That approach would require much more time than our original plan. I thought you were brilliant. I could have it ready for you in two days. What? You've changed. Is that a professional opinion? <laughs> Pure observation. 
Barkley. Historical research. Or Barkley. Next week, get ready to learn an awful lot about season six, episode 16, that you might not be able to find that information anywhere else. Yeah, going to be great. Little extra work for us due to the vast amounts of research we'll have to do. Yeah. But uh, it's worth it yeah. for the FODs out there. And the FODs uh, tell us that we're worth it by listening to us, supporting our show. Leaving a nice review on uh, Apple yeah. Podcast or whatever podcast app you use. They're coming to, to live shows, telling us in person. That's nice. That is nice. Our first live shows. Ben, this very week. Oh, man, I'm super excited. Can you believe it? We're going to start off in Atlanta. Can't wait to revisit our beloved Atlanta. I think our buddies Goose and Chuck from uh, Stuff You Should Know are probably going to be at that show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they will. going to be great. It's going to be great. The entire bullpen of the Atlanta Braves baseball team <laughs> coming to that show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That'll be good. The, uh, <laughs> the prosecutor from that... Uh, <laughs> From that Rico case against Trump, probably going to be there. Oh, yeah. Fanny Willis. Ted Turner's going to be there. Yeah, Ted Turner's going to be there. Um, he loves this show. Mm-hmm. The entire cast of uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta, including past cast members like Phaedra and Nini will be there. Sir Mix-a-Lot will only sing the part of that song where he does the cities of the oh. country. He'll just do the Atlanta part. Oh, the cool. Atlanta jump on it. Jump on it, jump on it. <laughs> What's up, Atlanta? What's up? Yeah, uh, he's our opening act. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just that part of the song. Yeah, and then the next night we'll be in Toronto. You know how yeah. uh, everybody that goes on tour likes to go to Atlanta and then swing through Toronto real quick because they're so close to each other. <laughs> yeah, this was a rooting that our friend and agent did at us. <laughs> Maybe to send a message. Yeah. Message received. <laughs> Not going on tour next year. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, I think we've been saying this at the promos, but uh, you know, we'll probably wrap this tour up at Sketchfest early next year. But that will be the last touring show we do for a little while. I think we we both are needing to catch our breaths a little bit. So I think both of us want to get recorded episodes out ahead of their release dates by more than like a week or two. Yeah. yeah. That would be good work by us. Wendy wants that more than anyone. Yeah. Wendy deserves it. Come see a live show. Probably the best overall way to support the show, bar none. We've got some great yeah. merch this year. I think people are really going to like the t-shirts and stuff. And uh, I couldn't be more excited. Star Trek Five, baby! Yeah. The best one. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, our producer, who edits these episodes and uh, we got to thank Adam Ragusea who made the music for our show of course uh, Dark Materia made the original music but Dark Materia doesn't have a podcast you should listen to and Adam Ragusea does that's right just listen to a great episode of his so good that guy's good salad is Sears I couldn't write a one hour essay and just read it into a microphone and make it entertaining and interesting he can fucking do that shit. He's not doing that off the dome? I thought that was just a guy speaking to camera. I mean, I think he collects his thoughts, you know. It's impressive either way. Yeah. I don't want to take it away from him. If he's doing it off the dome, I'm even more impressed. <laughs> Maybe we can ask him about that sometime. Yeah. You gotta thank Bill Tilly, Card Daddy, head of our social media 
efforts at Greatest Trek on all social media. Yeah. Give us a follow. Yeah. Give us a follow. Share what we're doing using the hashtag Greatest Gen. And grow more embarrassed from the sharing. Yeah. All right. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of the Greatest Generation Voyager in which we see some people that are destined for eye trauma but won't have it for quite some time. Make it so. Make it so. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.